spent a little time talking about her experiences at, uh, in college, which happens to be at the Masters University, but she was sitting right where you are not so long ago. A lot of you probably know her. one of her siblings. Stone was here just, I think, a year ago. She had other siblings that went here, kind of from the Columbus area. And so I've asked her to come share a little bit of a testimony of her life since she graduated here, and then I'll come back and introduce our speaker this morning. So let's welcome back Taylor. Well, good morning, everybody. So it was kind of funny because as I was trying to think about what I was going to say to you all, I was going to say, man, I remember when I was sitting in all of you guys' chairs and then I realized how old that makes me sound and I didn't really like that very much. So <laughs> I'm not going to start out that way. But for those of you who don't know me, I graduated in 2015. Um, Gordon asked me if I would kind of talk a little bit about what I've learned and where I've been over the last couple of years. And to be honest, public speaking is one of my least favorite things to do. So I'm going to do one of the things that you should never do while you publicly speak. I'm going to read <laughs> from what I have written. So bear with me, but hopefully this is going to be an encouragement to you. So after high school, I truthfully had no desire for higher education. I was super tired of people coming and talking about high school and college and what's next and all these things because I really didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, but I ended up going to Central Community College and I got an associate's degree in business management. I then from there went to a small college in Oregon and studied the Bible. I also came back for three years and was working full-time in photography and also as a family support specialist. Um, and in that time, the Lord just really cultivated a heart in me that wanted to reach people. Um, in that job, it was a lot. There was a lot of hard things that I saw, and there was a lot of depravity of this world. Um, and the Lord just really cultivated in me a love for people and a desire for them to know Christ in the truth. Um, I then, in 2020, had the opportunity to go to the Master's University and complete a degree in biblical counseling. Um, in this time, it was such an encouragement, and that school did so many things in my own personal growth and my own heart and love for the Lord. So, before I stand here and tell you <laughs> about another school to consider for furthering your education, I wanted to talk to you about a few things that I've learned regarding the why behind why we do anything. Um, regardless of the stage of life that you're in, whether you are in elementary school, eighth grade, seventh grade, just starting high school or looking at graduation, every season will come to an end. We know this to be true. But every season is a stepping stone for what's next. And the Lord uses every season to put us to where he wants us to be. Um, so what is the ultimate mission? Why do we do what we do? Why do we go to school? Why do we get an education? Well, what does the Bible say? In Matthew 22, 37 through 38, Christ is answering a Pharisee question and saying, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is a verse that we know and we hear all the time, right? But how in the world are we supposed to do that? How do we love the Lord? What does that look like? 
Jesus knew that this was a super difficult question, but he also knew that the solution was simple, and it was found in him, um, to know Christ. <laughs> in 1 John 2, 3 through 7, it says, And by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I have come to know him, and does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps the word truly in him, the love of God has been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. Beloved, I am not writing a new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard. This love of Christ and this knowledge of him is not because of something that we muster up within ourselves, but rather it's because of the work that God does in our hearts. However, we have to put ourselves in a position to truly know him. A position that allows us to study God's word, not just for more knowledge, but, for, but as the lifeline that we cling to in every season, in high or a low. I don't know if you guys have noticed, but this world is a dark and sometimes scary place. It's full of sin, and we are bombarded by so many things that want to take our minds and our eyes off of Christ. But our mission is to know and love him more. He's given us as believers... Um, the opportunity to truly be his hands and feet, doing his work, sharing the news, and plan of his plan of redemption to the lost. Yet, we're so easily distracted by the chaos that this world presents. There's a lot of things in social media. There's pop popularity, social status, success, travel, relationships, fill in the blank. But while these things are not always good or not always bad <laughs> within themselves, they are so easily a distraction from the purpose that Christ has given his children on this earth. We as believers have a message that is vital. It is the message of the cross and the resurrection of Christ. And we have to ask ourselves, are we equipped with this message? Do we care about people? Do we want to truly love them and pour into their lives? Um, I'm not going to stand here and tell you where you should go to school. Or honestly, even if you should go to school, because truthfully, college isn't for everybody, and that's okay. But I do want to challenge you with a couple of thoughts. In a world where darkness is lurking at every corner, do you know the great protector and defender? Who do you turn to for your armor? Is it yourself, or is it the almighty God? Do you know on a personal level the God of the universe? Not just about him, not just the God that your parents or your school talks about, but do you personally know God? The God who gave his only son for you, despite your hatred for him. In the middle of trial and difficulty and fear, anxiety or depression, do you know where to run to for hope and encouragement and everlasting joy? Christ is the answer to all of our problems. And knowing him, reminding ourselves of the gospel daily, and trusting in his promises is the armor that we need to persevere in this life. Hope of victory over sin and suffering is found only in Christ in his word. When we seek him and we find him in anything else, it will always fall short. These truths are countercultural, but they're truths from God himself. When you root yourself in an environment that is saturated with the commitment to Christ in scripture, you will grow in wisdom and stature, and you will fall deeper in love with your Savior because you truly know who he is. It's only when we know God and who he is that we can truly know ourselves and see ourselves for who we really are. And that 
is when we realize how much we desperately need him every day. The mission of the Master's University is to empower students for a life of enduring commitment to Christ, biblical fidelity, moral integrity, intellectual growth, and lasting contribution to the kingdom of God worldwide. They're dedicated to the sufficiency, inerrancy, and authority of Christ in scripture, and that is the foundation of everything that they teach. There are over 150 programs, ranging from biblical studies, teaching, music, criminal justice, pre-med, biology, and even kinesiology. If you're looking for a school, that will not only deepen your understanding and true love for the Lord, but equip you for a career and continually point you back to the encouragement that is rooted in Christ and scripture, I would strongly encourage you to look at the Master's University. There are so many options, right? But there are not very many schools like the Master's in America. When it comes to an unwavering commitment to the truth and steadfast pursuit of living a life of godliness, my personal time there was some of the best years ever. My love for the Lord and my passion and my drive for him has grown in ways that I didn't even know was possible. Um, I wouldn't encourage you to make this decision without praying about it, as there's lots of things to consider. But I do want you to think, what is the purpose of your life? Where are you going? Why do you do what you do? And if you want to be equipped in a way to love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and truly reach people for the kingdom of God, strongly consider Master's University. If you have questions about it, you can talk to me. Jared also went there. Um, and you can also go to themastersuniversity.edu for more information. So thanks for listening, guys, and have a good day. So just on that note, the uh, Master's University is in California. It's always been hard for people to go that far for Nebraska. So we obviously do have other schools. Some of you have been recently at Spurgeon, and uh, we had a speaker here, uh, Seth Howard, who's at Calvary. So there are other really good. If you're looking for Christian schools, there are other good Christian schools. But again, uh, some of you may wind up in public schools, which is perfectly fine if that's where God's calling you to be. What I would encourage you, if you're going to those institutions, if you are going somewhere for college after you graduate here, make sure you get and soak up everything you can at this school to prepare yourselves as best you can. So that's the advice I can give you. I know uh, I've got 10 grandkids, and I'm figuring out some way they can go to the master's university. That's how much I think of that institution. But again, there are other ones. If you're thinking a Christian school is where you're going to go to, they're not all created equal. Uh, and so you have to do your research and decide which one you might consider in the future. So our next uh, speaker this morning is Jared Prudiman. Jared, again, he sat right where you all are sitting just a few years ago. And I remember when he was out here playing basketball and he's got siblings that uh, played basketball. In fact, they got an opportunity to coach a couple of them. Well, one of them has just finished up at the Masters University on the basketball court and had a really good career there at the Masters. But uh, Jared uh, is somebody who teaches right now and coaches at a Christian school. And so I really uh, wanted him to come and share with you. And you probably noticed we've got sort of a thing going the last month where we've had guys who have are bringing the message who actually graduated here. 
So whether it's uh, Jared, my son Josh, I think last week, week before that, we had Seth Hauer, and then next week we got Cody Grease. So uh, Cody's in Lincoln, and he'll be coming back with Dustin Rogers, and so Dustin's got them all prepped to preach a message. So I think it's kind of cool that we've got this period of time where we got some youngsters, some people who graduated from here that can bring the word of God. And of course, Jared's father, John, was a pastor here at uh, in town, and so I uh, really appreciate his family. So with that, let's greet Jared Purdyman. Well, thank you. I want to thank uh, the school and the staff and Gordon for having me this morning. And I just want to second exactly what Taylor said and um, just the truth that's in um, the Masters University and Calvary, as he was saying, and many other schools. But um, just like Gordon said as well, I want to encourage you to not neglect your education while you're here. You are very blessed to have Christian teachers who teach the Word of God and who teach you correct theology, who correct um, teach you the truth of God's Word. And so I was, I've heard it said like this, that if there was a banker and he were to go around the world and look at all the fake $100 bills in the world and study every single one of those bills so that he could then know if he was being given a fake or a real one, that would take life, uh, many, many lives. But if he were to go and study the exact true bill, the one that is not counterfeit, the one that he knows, that he can touch, he can feel, he can look at it, and he knows that that is the correct bill, then all other bills are counterfeit. And that's the same truth of God's word that we're going to take a look at this morning. So if you would please turn with me to the book of Mark, chapter 14. And, uh, and while you're turning there, I'm just going to add a couple things about the Masters University. Um, Masters, as many of you might know, is in um, Los Angeles, but it is tucked away in a small, um, small subdivision of Los Angeles. And so it really, um, being from Nebraska and being from the small town of 3000, it didn't feel like I was getting too far out of, of what I had been in and what I had grown up in. So um, just like Taylor said and what Gordon said, I really encourage you, whether you go there or not, seek it out. Seek out a college that would have our focus be on the Lord and the gospel, because that is the most important thing. And I will say this, there are many colleges who will have good people. There are many colleges who will have even a good, maybe, um, doctrine and theology. But there are very few colleges that focus everything for the glory of God. And so the professors there, the staff there, their one focus is on Christ. And that's what I want to look at this morning. And the title of my sermon is Keeping Our Focus. Keeping Our Focus. And we're going to look at three main points this morning. And Gordon gave me an impossible task of tackling 22 verses. And so we're going to do our best to do a, a quick overview. And then we're going to um, focus in on a couple points that I want to make. But the first point that we're going to make this morning is the last Passover. So we got three Ps, the last Passover, the prophetic denial, and then the garden prayer. If you would, 
Join me in Mark chapter 14, verse 22. I'm going to read verses 22 through 44, and we'll begin. Please follow along as I read. And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessed it and broke it, and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after... I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. But Peter said to him, Even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, Truly, I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, If I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to the disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch and go a little further. He fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again he came out and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. And they did not know what to answer him. And he came a third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough, for the hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Please bow with me in prayer. Lord, we come before you this morning so blessed and grateful to be able to hear your word, to be able to come before you in prayer, to be able to keep you in our focus, to be able to keep you high and lifted up. Lord, I pray that, um, for these students that you would open their ears and their, their hearts to receive your word and to hear your word. Lord, um, give me the um, clarity of words, the clarity of mind to speak your words, and Lord, not to speak my own words, But Lord, use me to be able to speak your word. I pray that you just bless our time together this morning. Help us to um, understand what you're trying to tell us. And I just pray all these things in your precious name. Amen. Now, with any any good biblical um, study in the Bible, we always have to start with the context. Now, um, Mr. Thiessen has done a great job of working through the book of Mark. So hopefully by now you have a good understanding of the book of Mark is very fast-paced. 
So we're going to go from one event to the next event to the next event. And we're not going to stop, and it's going to be very fast. So please try to stay with me, and I'm going to go um, be as clear as possible. But verse 12, we always have to start with the context. Verse 12, please look at verse 12. And on the first day of the unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, where will we go to prepare you to eat for the Passover? And then they go on and he says, you guys go and you, you find a man carrying a jar and you say, where can I go so that I can have my master eat the Passover? And you guys hopefully know the story because, Lord willing, you looked at it last week. But we need to look at just a couple things of significance from the Old Testament because that's where they're pulling this from. So a couple things from the Old Testament that you should make note about. Number one, on the first day of the eighth of the eight-day feast of the unleavened bread, they had Passover. So this was the first day. It was on a Thursday evening, and um, something you can make note of as well is that in Galilee, okay, I don't know if you guys know, the Galilee is up north in Israel, and in Galilee, they did, they did their days, and their days started when the sun went down. But in Judea and south, they started when the sun went up. And so it was different. But in Galilee, this is very important, they had their dinner at night on Thursday evening. And so this would have been Thursday evening, and Jesus and his disciples were getting ready for the Passover meal. Now, in the Old Testament, you guys, hopefully you all remember the Exodus, okay? And uh, Moses leading the Israelites out of Egypt and God giving Moses and Aaron the ability to do so. And that wasn't to say that Moses and Aaron had anything to do with it, but that God had everything to do with it. And that's the sole reason why Moses said, Lord, I can't speak. I can't talk. How am I going to do this? Well, I'm going to do it for you. You don't have to worry about that because I'm in control. You don't need to focus on yourself. Don't focus on the things that you can do. Focus on what I can do. So number two in this, um, we look at the OT, um, Old, Test, Old Testament significance in verse 12. So number one was on the first day, they are celebrating Passover on a Thursday night. This was done to remember and to celebrate God's deliverance from their bondage in Egypt. So they were in bondage for 400 years, and as they worked and they toiled, it became a way of life, okay? And so they began, God brought them out of the land, but he didn't stop at just bringing them out because God doesn't just stop with saving us from something. He brings us in to something else. He brings us to himself. So the third part of our Old Testament significance is that he doesn't just bring the Israelites out of Egypt. He brings them in to the promised land. So not only do, we, do they celebrate and remember the bondage that they were in for many years and what God had led them out of, but they were also then brought in to the promised land. And so they're remembering the promised land and they're remembering those things that God had done, and he split the Red Sea, and he provided for them bread and manna in the wilderness for many years, and he provided water. He provided all of those years, even though Israel was not, even though Israel did not um, always 
thank God for all the things that he did, he was always providing. And so Israel would take this Passover every year, once a year at the beginning of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and while they were doing that, it was in remembrance. Those are some of the things that we need to take note of in the Old Testament. So what is the New Testament significance? We look at verse 22. And as they were eating, he took bread, they're taking of the Passover. This is not, we partake, many of us probably partake of the Lord's Supper in our churches, in our, um, in our own ways, and we, we remember. We remember what Christ did for us on the cross, and we remember that his body was broken for us, and that he partook of all the sin upon himself and took on the full wrath of God. But he hadn't died yet. So they were still remembering the Passover. But some of your Bibles might give you a little help and say the institutions of the Lord's Supper. But Christ hadn't died yet. So what does that mean? So we look at our first point. This is the first. Yes, they're celebrating the last Passover, but they're also celebrating the first Lord's Supper. They're celebrating the first Lord's Supper. And the first Lord's Supper was meant to be taken in this very, very similar way as the Passover. They took the bread. So let's just read, um, read verse 22. He took the bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them. He broke it and gave it to them and said, Take this as my body. And then he took the cup. And when he had given thanks, when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. So, the bread, number two, the bread was a representation of Jesus' body, which was broken for our transgressions, taking on the full wrath of God. Now, in Old Testament times, they knew the Old Testament very, very well. They studied it. They learned it in, um, in school. They learned it all the time. They knew the Bible very, very well. In Isaiah 53, so... Um, about 2,000 years before Christ came, the prophet Isaiah prophesied and he said these words. Isaiah 53, verses 5 through 7. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The day the Lord died on that cross, Jesus Christ, he took on himself our iniquity, being crushed for our sin, being broken for our transgressions, because he loved us and because he wanted us to be saved. And we'll go over that in a while. So the body, it is broken because it shows the brokenness in which Christ became for us. And if he didn't become that for us, then we would be broken. Number two, or number three, sorry. The wine. The wine represents the blood of Christ that was spilled out on the cross. Matthew 26, verse 28 for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Now, if we go back to Jeremiah um, chapter 31, I believe it's um, verse 31 as well, 
we see this new covenant that God will no longer require the law because the law will be written on your hearts. That it will no longer matter what's on the outside because what matters is what's on the inside. And whatever's on the inside will then flow out on the outside. So the wine represents the blood shed for us on the cross. And the final point in this, this main heading of Jesus, of, um, of Jesus's, or the old, sorry, the Passover is this, number four. When we partake of the Passover and when we partake of now the Lord's Supper, we remember the transferring us and we celebrate that God has taken us, he has taken those who have put their faith in Christ and has transferred us from being slaves of sin to now being free in Christ. Colossians 1.13 says this, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of the beloved Son. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness. He has taken us out and put us in Christ. What an amazing truth. We think of the words mercy and grace. Many of us know what those words mean. Some of us may not. But what a depiction of those two words in one verse. We see God's mercy delivering us, saving us from eternal punishment because his son's death on the cross. And he's not only saving us into nothing and saying, okay, you, can no, you no longer have to pay for your sins. But he's saying, now I'm going to give you eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. And he's going to bring us, he's transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. So you're asking, well, I'm transferred. I'm, I'm good to go. I've got eternal life. Do you? Is your focus on the things of above? So our last point in this section of the Passover is the significance of what is the significance of focusing on Christ? The significance of focusing on Christ. If you would turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Romans 1 Corinthians. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians 11. Verse, we'll be reading in verse 24. And I want you to listen to the importance of of focusing on Christ. Why is it so important that I focus on Christ when I'm taking the Lord's Supper? Why is it so important that he partook of this first Lord's Supper? 1 Corinthians 11, verses, verse 24. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant of my blood. Do this as often as you drink it, there it is again, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this, drink, eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now listen to this next part. But whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. 
Let a person examine her, himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment to himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. It's pretty serious stuff. It's pretty serious to focus on Christ, to hold him in reverence, to focus on him and to examine ourselves. Am I truly living for Christ? Am I truly living or am I living for myself? Am I doing the things to be seen by others? Am I doing the things in class so that I can look knowledgeable? Many of us have a very good intellect, especially biblically. Many of us could raise our hand and answer this, the, the right questions. You could say the right answers. But how many of us are those answers true in our heart? How many of us is it true in the way we live, in the way that we act in private, or when we're at home, or when we're on the athletic field, or in the basketball gym, and we're playing against a, team, a rival? Are we focusing on Christ, or are we focusing on ourselves? So the first point is the Passover, and we are to focus on Christ, and we have, he has instituted the Lord's Supper for which we now partake. We don't remember the exile. We don't remember we weren't in slavery. We weren't in bondage. But weren't we? Weren't we? We were in bondage. The Bible says in Ephesians that we were slaves to sin. We were in bondage, just not by a physical person, but by a spiritual force and by sin in the force in the flesh. We are slaves to the flesh. So we are now free in Christ if you have believed in Christ. So we remember Christ. Number two, our main point. We move on, verse, 30, uh, verse 26. Point two, the prophetic denial. The prophetic denial. <clears throat> and, when we, and when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives, and Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, Whenever you see that, for it is written, you know that it was written probably in the Old Testament, maybe back in the New Testament. So we'll go back and look at that in just a minute. But for it was written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. So this is taken from Zechariah chapter 13, verse 7, where it says this. And it's talking, it's, it's prophetic. It's talking about the future, talking about Jesus, which is now happening right now. Awake! O sword against my shepherd, against the man who stands next to me, declares the Lord of hosts, strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. I will turn my hand against the little ones. He's talking about Jesus and the sheep. He's talking about the disciples. How many of us can sit in class? How many of us can sit in, in church we can do the right things. We can say the right answers. We can stand up for the truth and say, hey, you're not supposed to be doing that. And then when we're with our friends outside of school, when we're with our friends outside of church and we see them doing the same thing, oh, I probably shouldn't say that. Ah, they might not think too highly of me if I say that. We're the same way. How many of us have convictions 
that will stand no matter what, no matter what anyone's doing. And those convictions that come from the word of God and the truth that is in them. So we look back at Isaiah 53, and it has many of the same words, the sheep, the shepherd. Jesus is the shepherd that came. He came to be the atoning sacrifice. We no longer have a temple. We no longer have to sacrifice because Jesus was our sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice. So we look at the response. We look at the response of the, the people involved. And the first thing we look at is the Peter and the disciples' response. And we look at verse 29. Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. Okay, you're crazy, Jesus. This is not going to happen. What are you talking about? You, I've been with you for three years. You've told me everything exactly how it's going to be. I've been with you when you fed the 5,000, when you walked on the water. But you're wrong about this one. He doesn't understand. He doesn't get it. Peter, you're looking at yourself. Peter, you're relying on yourself. You need to rely on me. You need to focus on me. When Peter was walking on water and he took his eyes off Christ, he began to sink. When we take our eyes off of Christ, we began to sink. We began to sink far below. We, we fall into sin. We fall into the world. We begin to love the things that Christ calls us out of. So the Peters and the disciples' response, they didn't understand. Say, Lord, I've been here with you for three years. I love you. You are our shepherd. You showed us all these things. How could I ever do that to you? But as we all know, when Christ is taken away, the disciples scatter. We don't even see them for a while. We don't know where they're at. We see Peter and his denials. But as far as that goes, we don't know where they go. But they separate. They're separate. So how many of us are in this same area? How many of us rely on our teachers and at school? How many of us will sit in the cafeteria today and eat our lunch and won't pray before we eat? Because at a Christian school, we're scared of what people think of us when we live out the gospel or when we pray or when we stand up for the truth or when we sit by the kid that doesn't have anybody to sit by or when we speak out in class and say, I've heard it this way, or I've heard it this way. Can you explain how many of us are fearful of what others think and will not be in tune to the gospel and will not stand up for the gospel because of what others think? Does it matter? Does it matter? We're not living for the earthly pleasures. We're not living for others' gain. We're living for Christ's glory. So, Mark chapter 4, verse 17. And they have no root in themselves, but they endure for a little while. Talking about the disciples. They endure for a little while. When tribulation and persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. Immediately they fall away. Do we fall away when we, when we face persecution, when we face trials? We don't get what it's like to be a Christian in America. We don't get what it's like to be a Christian at a Christian school. Christians in other countries, they get it. It means standing on the word of God no matter what. When the guards come knocking on your door ready to, ready to come in and to take your family away, 
and to take you to prison or worse, they get it. Everything that they do, everything that they have is in Christ. Luke 22, verse 31 through 34. Simon, Simon. Now, who is Simon? Well, we know that Simon is Peter. So why is he saying Simon? Simon was his previous name before he was brought to Christ. So he's saying, why are you going back to your old ways? Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he may sift you like wheat. But I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. And Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny me three times that you know me. It won't even, he doesn't even say, Peter, you're going to deny me later in the future, but later this day. It was fresh on Peter's mind. He knew, which was why he wept after he did it. Then we look at Jesus' response. The, the disciples' response, prideful, selfish. We know, Lord, we're not going to do that. Why would we do that? We, we follow you. We follow Christ. There's nothing else that can take us. Jesus' response. Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you'll deny me three times. We need to rely on Christ. Christ knows all. Christ is in control of all things in our lives. Are we reliant on Christ when we face persecutions? Are we reliant on Christ when we sit in the cafeteria and we pray or when we don't pray? We need to be doing what Christ said no matter what. No matter what anybody thinks of us, are we, are we on the basketball court and are we, are we getting upset at the other, our teammates or the other players or are we living in a worldly way or are we focused on Christ and living for his glory? I'm guilty of that. When I was, when I was here and when I was playing, playing ball here, I didn't care about Christ. I didn't care about what anybody thought of me. I cared about what they thought of me. I cared about what they thought of me. And if I didn't do well, I hated it. And it was the worst thing ever. But it didn't matter. None of that matters. Because one day, we're all going to die. And we're all going to perish. And we're going to stand before the Lord and we're going to give we're going to give an account of all the things that we've done in this life and all the thoughts that you've had and all the things that we've done and all of the evils that we faced. And we're going to give account for those. And are you going to have Christ standing next to you saying, I've forgiven this person. I've taken their sin. I've paid for it. Or are you going to be standing there alone giving a defense and sorry, but there's no way anyone can give a defense, even try to defend, because there are so many trials, so many sins that we've done, we can't even speak. Number three, <clears throat> the garden prayer, our final point this morning. The garden prayer. In verses 32 through 44, <clears throat> we see that God takes, Jesus takes his disciples to the garden so that he can pray. He knows what's coming, but the disciples don't get it. They don't understand. What's happening? Lord, I'm, I'm tired. I want to go home. I want to I go to sleep. Can we, can we just 
do this tomorrow? He takes them out in the garden. He called, and they went out to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to the disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took Peter, James, and John and began to, and was greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, given to death. Remain here and watch. And it goes through this, through this cycle, and he comes back three different times. The book of, um, I believe it's Luke, talks about him being sweating blood because of his great distress of the coming events. But I want you to watch what he says in the next few verses. Because he doesn't, it's, it's not just say, oh, I know what's going to happen. I, it's, it's okay. But he prays to the Father. And he asks the Father and says, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not I will, but your will be done. Whose will are we looking for? Are we looking for our own will? Are we looking for our own plan? Or are we willing to serve Christ to death like Jesus on the cross? Because he didn't have to. He didn't have to do that. But he did it so that we could be saved. And if you're a believer this morning, he did it for you. He did it so that he could partake upon himself. And now the great distress and agony, that wasn't necessarily because he was going to go and he was going to be whipped and he was going to be um, all of these different agonies and trials and then die on a cross. But that was because he had never felt the weight of sin. And he was going to take on the full weight and the full wrath of God for us. And we sit here and we live for ourselves. We need to be focused on Christ and living for Christ. The disciples' focus was earthly. Oh, Lord, my eyes are tired. Their eyes were heavy. They wanted sleep. They were focused on, they were falling asleep. They weren't keeping watch. They weren't even praying. Their focus was on the earth and the, the, um, the temporary, the things that will not last forever. Jesus' focus was on the Father. It was on the heavenly. Not my will be done, Lord, but yours. How many of us will say that? How many of us pray that? Lord, help me not to do my will. Help me not to have my own desires. Give me your desires. Give me your will. Let me do your will. He prayed to the Father, Abba, Father. He sought the will of the Father. And even in his greatest agony, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Please, Lord, remove it. And he didn't just pray this once. It says he went back and prayed it over and over and over. Lord, remove the cup from me, please. But not my will. Your will be done. So where is our focus? Where should our focus be? If Christ's focus was on the will of God, then you guess right. Our focus should be on the will of God as well. You may be asking yourself, well, what is the will of God? I, can I just pray and God will speak to me and say what his will is? He gives it to us right here. You all have it in your hands. Do you know it? Do you know his will? Because if you don't know his will, then how can you do his will? 
So if Christ's main focus was on doing the will of the Father, our focus should be doing his will too. So there are some texts, there are other passages that tell us exactly what the will of the Father is, and here they are. Well, here's a few of them. There are many. But the will of the Father is to follow God's word and to do it with everything we have. But here, 2 Peter verse, chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. You want to know what the will of the Father is for you? That you repent of your sins, that you see that you are utterly wicked and sinful, and that you cannot have anything in your own accord and repent of your sins. And love Christ. Number two, First Timothy two three through four. So repentance in Second Peter, Second Timothy two three through four. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Father, who wills all people to be saved, and to come to the knowledge of the truth. To come to the knowledge of the truth. Repent. Be saved. The knowledge of the truth. Know the Bible. And then finally, 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 2 through 3. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. And then he goes on and he describes what that looks like, what that sanctification looks like. If we're saved this morning, if you have repented of your sins, if you have faith in Christ and have been saved, how much are we being sanctified? How do we be sanctified? By knowing this and by applying it to our lives every day. It says in the book of James, to not be hearers of God's word only, but be doers also. Be doers also. Our lives should be different. Even amongst you, there are unbelievers. Your life should be different in a Christian school. You should be Different, you should look. Our focus should be on Christ and God's will alone. So when you go to your classes, when you go to the lunchroom, when you go do your next activities, you need to ask yourself, is this true about me or am I living my life for my own will and putting on a really good show? I was in that spot. I put on a really good show. A lot of people thought I was... I was saved. A lot of people, I had a great, great answers. But no one knew what was inside. And it was me. It was selfish. It was sin. It was flesh. But now Christ fills me. We need to be built, filled with the Spirit. Focus on Christ this morning and forever. Please bow with me in prayer. Lord, we come before you this morning thankful for you, for your son, for you sending your son and for giving us these truths in your Bible. Lord, I pray for these students as they go out today. Pray for the track team as they go out, that you would just bless them, that you would keep them. But Lord, most importantly, that they would focus on you and you alone, that they would see you for who you are, that they would understand the things that the disciples did not understand, and that they would know your word, that they would come to the knowledge of the truth. Lord, I thank you for um, allowing them to have um, grace for me this morning to go a little bit long. 
I pray for the rest of their day and for the rest of their lives that they would focus on you. I pray all these things in your precious name. Amen.